We're going to be a few places this morning. I'm going to be flipping around. Uh, before, before I do that, uh, Wednesday night we had a, a, a night for EPC Distinctives. We sent out a recording of that. And um, I just want to speak to that as your pastor. Um, I, I appreciate everybody who came to that. I appreciate everybody who's listened. I've had a lot of people tell me they listened, which I... My wife was asking me, who's going to be there? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's going to come. I don't know if anybody cares, but a lot of people have cared. And um, I want you to know that, that I love you. That uh, we talked about gifts of the Holy Spirit, women as officers in the church. And these are things that people have deeply held personal, emotional convictions about that affects them quite, quite deeply, and all over the map on those issues, and I feel that, and I, I love you, and on Thursday, I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. I've not felt physically exhausted in that way in a long time, because I just feel the weight of a lot of people's care in that. And I, I'm not telling you that to feel, so you feel sorry for me. I'm telling you that so that you know that I love you and that I care about you. And I am, I am praying for you. And I am praying for us. And I don't know how all of this works itself out. And I wish that I did. And a lot of times what we don't know is causes us to fear. And ultimately, the place I came to on Thursday and Friday as I prayed through this was I need to turn my heart once again to Jesus. And Jesus is the most compelling, beautiful person I have ever met. And as the song, old song says, in the, in the light of his glory and grace, things seem small and manageable. And okay. And I'm praying for that, for, for all of you. Whether you listened to our meeting on Wednesday, whether you're there, um, I love you and I care for you. And I'm always happy to talk to you about whatever comes out of that meeting. I hope you know that. Um, and today we're going to talk about Jesus, um, as we tend to do on Sunday mornings. For the next three weeks, because this is the number of weeks that, that I have, this Sunday and the next two Sundays before my, my summer starts, we're going to jump off of uh, Acts 1.8. Uh, let me read that for you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples before he ascends. Uh, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And you may not know this, but the, the book of Acts is actually organized along this program for mission that Jesus lays out. The book of Acts is actually structurally composed to show you how the church goes from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria and the ends of the earth. 
And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be sent to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And we'll go toggle between the Gospels and Acts together so we can see what that looks like in light of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church like Jesus promised in Acts 1.8. So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 66, and then I'll be in Acts 5. Mark 14, verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And when he went out, he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him, And began again saying to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And now over in Acts 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked, the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And somebody came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and are teaching the people. The captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel A teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of people, about 400, joined them. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. 
So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. He might even be found opposing God. So they took his, took his advice. When they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of our brothers Mark and Luke who wrote these scriptures. We thank you that your spirit inspired them to give us your own word. And Father, we pray that our hearts should be sensitive and attuned to your voice. We pray that Jesus will be lifted up and that your Holy Spirit might transform us. We trust you to do this, Lord God. Amen. We have here uh, two, two different accounts of the actions of, of Peter and his friends as they follow Jesus. And uh, I chose this passage from Mark because um, Mark was a disciple of Jesus of uh, Peter, and Peter, it's thought, is behind Mark's gospel, that Mark's account is largely that of Peter's account. And that's why in Mark's gospels you have some details about Peter and his story that kind of give you these little clues that it was Peter, in fact, relaying to Mark much of what Mark wrote down. And you have this account of the denial of Jesus, where Peter again and again on multiple opportunities says, I do not know him, and insists with swearing and cursing, I don't know this guy, even though everybody is being able to identify him by his accent and the way he looks and recognize him, you were definitely with him. And he says, absolutely not. And he remembers in his self-confidence that Jesus has told him that he will deny him. And he is stricken at the memory. And he weeps. And then in Acts 5, we see a very different thing. Just before this, in the passage that we read, there's a section where it says that Peter especially was operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the people were clamoring to be able to fall into his shadow because he was involved in so many supernatural healings by the power of the Holy Spirit that people were desperate to just get close to him. And the, the apostles were in the temple courtyards teaching all the time. And I, I find this story so remarkable because they're, they're arrested, an angel lets them out of the jail, and they hop right back out there getting to it, and you can imagine the frustration and astonishment of the officials who just arrested him because they're like, we just put you here. How did you get out here? How did you do this? And instead of saying, you know, maybe we just ought to back off a little bit, they, they arrest them again. And they're furious, discussing amongst one another, what do we do with these guys to get them to get the clue to shut up? And then you have this speech by this respected teacher who points out from their history these moments where revolutionaries have popped up, possibly men who claim to be the Christ, to be the anointed son of David who is coming to reclaim the throne. And he points out, look, these guys popped up and they turned to nothing. They died. 
and have a few followers, and then it fizzled out. So you might as well just let them do their thing, and it'll probably just fizzle out. But you never know, and you don't want to be caught opposing God. And the irony there is this is exactly what's happening, is that they are opposing God. They don't recognize that God is on the move in their midst. So then they beat the apostles. Just a minor note in the text. They beat them and release them. And the response of Peter and the other apostles is to rejoice because they are counted worthy to suffer. It's quite a contrast. Peter has gone from uh, forcefully, even profanely, swearing that he does not know Jesus to by the end of Acts 5, walking out rejoicing that he was able to be beaten because Jesus is worthy of that. Now, obviously, there are some significant events between the story of Peter's denial and his walking out rejoicing. But Jesus here in Acts 1.8 is describing what Peter and the apostles are doing in obedience in Acts 5. The first place that he has called them to is to the place that they already are. Jerusalem and Judea. These are Jerusalem is the city. Judea is the region where Jerusalem is. He tells them to just stop here. Pause. Stop. Wait on the Holy Spirit. And this place where they are will be the staging ground for ultimately what Jesus says will be a mission to the end of the earth. And so this place in Acts 5 is the segment of the book of Acts where they are doing this thing in Jerusalem and Judea. Much of the early stories of the book of Acts takes place in Jerusalem, around the temple, in the prisons, in the rooms, in the houses, around house to house, proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Similarly, God calls us as a people where we are. God has called us to the nearness of our present location. And he has called you and I to be on mission with him. And what the story in Acts 5 helps us to remember is Jesus does not call his disciples to safety by staying where they are, but he actually calls them to real danger to where they are. In fact, much of the suffering of the early church in Scripture is in Jerusalem. The place where they thought maybe they'd be safest is the place where it is most dangerous for them. When Paul is traveling in the rest of the New Testament, he's taking up a collection you can read about it in 2 Corinthians and other places because the church in Jerusalem and Judea is suffering so badly. He's taking up collection from the rest of the church in the Roman world to help take care of these people. Jesus is not calling his followers in this uh, section of the instructions to a place of safety. He's calling them to a place of danger. It's dangerous in Jerusalem and Judea. It's a place of real opposition. You and I, oftentimes, when we read Jesus' instructions to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the earth, and we say, you know what, I'm just going to hang out here in Jerusalem and Judea, what we really mean is, I'm going to hang out here where it is safe. And what we mean is, we're not, we're not really functionally going on mission with Jesus. What we want is to be home and to be comfortable and put Jesus' name on it. And look, we don't live in a place 
where people are walking around waiting to beat you. Thank God. I'm happy about that. I am not, I don't think yet to the place where I would be rejoicing that I was just beaten. I'd like to get to that place, but some part of me, most parts of me, is glad that I have not been beaten. And we live in a place that is not dangerous for us in many ways. But that does not excuse us into a place of silent and passive comfort, living the American dream the way that we want to live, and just say, well, I'm, I'm, this is my Jerusalem, this is my Judea. God, wherever we are in any of these regions of mission, these concentric circles of mission, is calling you to a place of real danger. Because he is calling us to the borders of where the kingdom of God is meeting the kingdoms of this world. And there is no place where you can escape from that. There, is, there are places where you can cover your eyes and plug your ears and you can try to hope to forget. But that is delusion. That is not real. Because the borders of the kingdom of God run crosswise of the kingdoms of this world wherever you and I are. And here in the Swananoa Valley, God is calling us to this place. Maybe for most of us, this is the only place where we will ever be called geographically. This is the place. And we have to, in a sense, not trick ourselves, but to de-trick ourselves to understand that this is the place where we are called to be missionally adventurous with Jesus. That for many of us, the most adventurous, dangerous thing that you can imagine is to literally walk next door and to get to know your neighbor. Oftentimes we have stripped the word neighbor of any geographic meaning and we mean it at, to say the people that I know and that I like. But Jesus is very clear in his teaching that the word neighbor is quite broad and, and quite uncomfortable. And it may be that your literal proximal neighbor is the scariest place that you can imagine in the Swannanoa Valley because it's unsafe. You don't know them. You don't know how they'll respond. What if they smell weird? What if they do weird things? What if they swear a lot? What if they do icky things? What if they do drugs? And this is a terrifying prospect, this whole possibility of what your neighbor could be. And it is scary and it is dangerous because it is scary. The church has always been called to scary and dangerous places. It's just the nature of the deal. You and I are part of a kingdom of God that is here. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God is coming. It is not yet here in some sense. And the not yetness of the kingdom means that we are always looking forward past what we see now and hopes that one day we may yet find our rest. Our rest is in Jesus and nowhere else. Our rest is not in our personal comfort, in our possessions, in our income, in our circle of friends, and the people that are sufficiently like us. Our rest is in Christ alone,
We are called to go wherever Jesus is going. And I can promise you he is going somewhere unknown and dangerous to you and I. However, there is a real sense in which the church believes, and you can see this confidence in Acts 5, in which they feel in no real danger at all. They feel absolutely rock-solid convinced that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Lord, he is the King, and their King will not abandon them. And he will yet surely have his victory. One of the most miraculous examples of the victorious mission of God is the way that God doesn't just change Jerusalem, but he changes individual residents of Jerusalem. Peter is not changed from being a denier to a proclaimer because he has suddenly learned enough information, gone to enough self-help classes, acquired enough things to put in his brain or worked how to make friends and influence people or he's gathered a tight enough group of friends around him so then he really feels confident. Peter is fundamentally changed in who he is because he has seen the crucified Jesus put into the grave and then to walk out of the grave. Not only that, But in Acts 2, Peter is in the room when the Spirit of God comes and descends on him in power. In in Mark 14, Peter's words are of denial, swearing that he does not know Jesus. And in Acts 2, he stands up in front of all of Jerusalem that's gathered nearby, and he proclaims the Scriptures all throughout the Old Testament in power and conviction and without fear, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. This Jesus that you have crucified, he says, he is the Son of David. He is the risen King of all creation. And that happens because the Spirit of Jesus lives inside of him. And he is transformed in his heart, in his gut, in his mind, in his nature by the Spirit of God himself. So that Peter is able to remember the words of Jesus, you are better off if I leave you. And he is able to say, I am better off. And he is able to take this mantle of proclamation and leadership. He is able to face the people who would beat him and imprison him. And he is able to fearlessly say, you can tell us what to do. We will not stop. You cannot shut up the good news of the kingdom out of my mouth. You and I, by being called on mission, are first called to come and see the God who was missional towards you first. God is not just coming for your neighbor. God has come for you. And our response of mission is a response to God's first step towards us. The first missionary in all the world is no one in the book of Acts except Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus of Nazareth is the one who, though he was seated in glory in heaven, came down, came towards his people, and was himself the missionary God who proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. And he is coming for you and for me. And you and I who may be you know, good church folk, coming to church all the time, coming to the Sunday school classes, coming to all the things, we have to be reminded that God is still yet on mission for us to follow and is still yet on mission transforming us. Do you yourself believe the gospel? Do you yourself believe what Peter proclaims, that this Jesus is the Christ? Is this Jesus the one who has saved you? Is this Jesus the one who is transforming you so that you might go from doubter and denier to proclaimer? That you may go from coward to one who rejoices to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Are you able to see what Peter has seen? Have you heard the wind that Peter heard when the Holy Spirit descends on him in power? And let me tell you something. This is not easy for for this baby church in Jerusalem. There's another time where they're imprisoned and they're scared They get out miraculously, and they get together, and they pray, and it's like there's another Pentecost. The room shakes, the wind blows, and the Spirit of God comes upon them again. Not because God is insufficient the first time, the first time it didn't take, Because the second time and the third time and the fifth and the twelfth and the hundredth time, the people of God, the early church, Peter was able to say, I am so weak and frail. I need the help of the Spirit of God Himself. And God is generous and gracious and missional and responds and steps towards again and again and again. God has more than enough for you. And all the places where you might feel that it is dangerous to be on mission with Jesus in your neighborhood, in this valley, the Lord Jesus stands before you with more than enough. You are not called to be smart enough, to be clever enough, to be confident enough. You are called to Jesus. And you are called to follow Jesus. In all the places where you are afraid that your neighbor might reject you or that person might reject you or somebody might talk bad about you behind your back or you might lose this sort of relational influence or whatever it is that you're afraid of, Jesus is with you. And when Jesus sends his people, he sends it with the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you. That place that you're thinking, the dangerous place that you don't want to go, I will go with you there. I will never leave you or forsake you. The place that you're going with your kids, where you're trying to have these scary conversations with your kids, I've been there. They're terrifying. What happens when I mess up these conversations with my kids? I will never leave you or forsake you. The new place that you've never been, I don't like to go serve meals in the middle school. I've been to middle school, never want to go back. 
but I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going there too. There is no place in this valley in your life where Jesus' promise will not hold true. I will never leave you or forsake you. The Spirit of God is enough both to transform us and to rescue our neighbors and to transform this valley as the kingdom of God pushes out. And we cannot be a people who in the name of staying in Jerusalem retreat to safety because it is more comfortable. You and I will have our full comfort when we see Jesus face to face. And until then, we will be on mission with him. And we will rejoice to be counted worthy to proclaim and to serve and to honor him with our life and with our death, with our joy and with our suffering all the days of our life to the glory of God in this valley and to the ends of the earth. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are glorious. You are worthy of our whole lives. You are extravagant in your love. You are generous with your presence. God, we know that there is no place that we can go and you will not be there. But God, we pray for a continuing experience of your being there. We know that you are here without invitation, and yet we want to be a people that invite you. God, we know that you have given us your Holy Spirit when we come to you, but we want your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us again and again and again so that we might be a people who faithfully follow Jesus, who faithfully proclaim, and we confess to you, God, that we are a people who are often afraid, confused, misguided, misdirected. Would you still yet use people like us? And Father, we pray that you would help us to see our neighborhoods through your eyes. That there would be no street that we would just drive by and say, I'll never go there. That there would be no doors that would be closed to us of our own choice. Father, we, we look to you in confidence and trust, knowing that you use people like us We pray that you'd help us to be obedient, to be open to you, to be sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would fill this church with lots of stories of people going from fear to proclamation, of denial to courage in the Holy Spirit. It's only by your power and grace that we will see this happen, God. We ask that you'd make much of yourself and do it again and again. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.